your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture We'd stick around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The podcast with the British Nuclear Codes Turns out it's just Liverpool 12345 Sponsored by Pogs. Those weird plastic circular thing with grooves in that no one really knows what to do with. I think I had I think I had some Pogs. I didn't know what they were for. I think you were supposed to fight them, weren't you? Or Fight them? How? I don't, I, I don't know. But against each other, or you were supposed to fight them? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the I think you like uh, maybe maybe I'm confusing them with something else, but I'm pretty sure you, you flipped them. You flipped other people's pogs with your own ones. Oh, okay. I I always assumed you were supposed to like build shit because you had like those grooves and you could like make things, but they weren't very good things. That was probably the original purpose, but um, you know it got changed over time. Um, mm. It's a bit like Pokemon cards. You know, you were supposed to actually you know play a card game with them, mm. but very few people did. No. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I did play the game. Yes, how did I? Uh, yeah. And somebody stole them. Absolute shit. We had a we had a gangster at our school. This lad called Ben, who'd completed them um, three times already, but he was going for a fourth. I think he was a rich kid. He put put his arm around you like he was a you know a mafia don because he wanted my shiny blast toys. <laughs> did he? Is that giving me a shiny blast toy? I did not give him the blast toys. No. Good. That's what we like to hear. Is that who sold them to? Uh... Whichever one of the poles is. I don't know what the difference between Jerk and Logan is. <laughs> Quite possibly, considering... He, I swear he'd already completed it three times. Um, oh. I, I'm pretty sure he used to say that his dad bought him loads of them because he didn't live at home anymore, so I think his dad was compensating. Uh, <laughs> swings and roundabouts. Yeah. yeah. I'm assuming oh, even those like crap energy cards that you got now are worth loads. I might be wrong on that. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, no, they're not as they're not as much as you thought. Because I had a few knocking around um, that I thought, oh, these were worth loads, but they weren't. Like one of them was worth like, I think I had a shiny Gyarados that's now worth about twenty quid. I think if it had been in pristine condition, it would have been maybe like thirty. But mm. it's not like loads of money, and most Still, of it's not not worth very much I, at all. If I had that, I would sell it in an instant. <laughs> um, I sold my whole box of them wow. for seventy pounds. Nice. Um, it was yeah, all right. Well, do you remember when uh, Michael? Do you remember at school when Simon Bottle got a French Charizard, and everyone yeah, vaguely about it? Vaguely, yeah. yeah. Was that even worth the hype? I don't know. Well, I think Charizard was really rare to get anyway. Yeah. But then he when it. he got it on a school trip in France, it was just like, wow, that's way. <laughs> well, we've entered a new dimension here. Everyone wanted Charizard because he had the attack that did the most damage. Remember it well. Why am I picturing Charizard with a daft moustache? That's that's where my brain um, has gone for French Charizard. <laughs> it would work, to be fair. Yeah, I think it'd be like a flame, a flame uh, moustache. Yes, now that would be good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, aesthetics. We're onto something with this. <laughs> right. Uh, well, you're here for stick around, and uh, the second episode in about a year. Um, we'll be coming at you nice and inconsistently um, for, for some, some time yet. Um, I'm here with Michael Johnson. Hello. And Clive Fisher. Ahoy. 
Um, Clive, I believe, uh, has a couple of things for us today, and I think Michael has a big long list. Is that right, Michael? Oh yeah. Got a long are list. you are you going to be talking about the list or literally just reading out the list? That that's what I'm curious about. Well, given that what we've what we've got set up for the episode, I think I will just keep it brief because um, it could probably be a two hour podcast if I got going. Um, well, we could we could maybe have that for the you know uh, Patreon subscribers just listening <laughs> listening to you rattling off a list. Yeah, is, does that demand exist? I'm not sure. But, yeah, I'm, I'm going to only one way to find out. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to. Uh, I think I'll divide it up into three. My list of ten. Okay. That's the plan. All right. Okay. Well. Okay. Yeah. That sounds. That sounds like a good plan. I like it. Well, let's start with the first ten on his list. Michael, what have you got for us? Thank you. Let's start with the first five on my list. Oh, right. Okay. Sorry. Uh, Sorry. Um, (laughs) Just start with all ten. Yeah. yeah. Don't know what the other two parts are. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So I've made a list of my top ten albums of 2021. It's quite strange, obviously, to be coming at it in the middle of the year, but I think it makes more sense because these things are always characterised by knee jerks. You see publications putting the albums out early in December. And then, like, they have to include an album that came out later in December in next year's list. It doesn't really make any sense to me. So I always think it would be better if the publications did it in February or so, maybe. But they, I know they don't have the patience for that, and it's probably driven by some complex marketing algorithm. Um, but, yeah, so I think it's better to let them sink in. And, obviously, if you're um, a music geek, then you're constantly revisiting uh, previous years, um, as Clive knows. Um, so... I have to say, this was extremely difficult. So I started writing this list, and then it started creeping up. I was like, oh, I'm going to have to do a top 20. And then I realised it was getting out of hand when I started thinking, actually, I'm going to have to do a top 25. I was like, what? how is this going to work on a podcast? So um, <laughs> then I started whittling it back down, uh, and I got it to like 14, 15, and decided I was just going to have to be brutal and get a 10. So I've left some absolutely outstanding albums that I would have loved to talk about off this list, and I'm not going to name any of them because, you know, otherwise, again, we'll just have the same problem. Uh, but it was just another brilliant year where if you're into music and you like a wide variety of genres, then you're just completely spoiled with the quality. So these are the 10 that I've landed on, and yeah, that's just where I ended up. So I'll just speak about them briefly, these first five. So at number 10, I've got Happier Than Ever by Billie Eilish, um, the second album from Billie and her brother, Phineas, as producer. Um, I personally thought this was stronger than the debut, which I also loved, and I think it will go on to be remembered as the better album. Um, I saw someone compare it to um, In Utero by Nirvana in the sense that the first album will probably be better known, but among... You know, certain people, um, big fans and followers, uh, then they think this album will be uh, the more treasured, and I tend to agree. Um, the lyrics are pretty personal at times, uh, verging on the political via that that route, and um, yeah, the production's consistently interesting and exciting, very dynamic, uh, quite rangy as well. And the biggest surprise for me, I thought, was that the um, the couple of acoustic tracks. On the album, um, Your Power and Male Fantasy, the closing track, which are both about um, power exchanges in uh, relationships and between genders. 
uh, were some of the strongest tracks and I'd love to see that direction explored more uh, by Billy in the future um, vocally uh, Billy Eilish is one of the most singular artists in the world right now um, I always say that her vocals are like uh, Coca-Cola on vanilla ice cream which don't ask me to explain that but that's that's how they feel in my ear um, the way that those <laughs> things feel in my mouth so um, yeah it's, it's a, a, a really stellar album uh, very exciting to see what the future holds um, especially for an artist so young obviously uh, at number 9 I've got uh, I Don't Live Here Anymore by The War on Drugs who have graduated to become my favourite American band these days uh, it's another excellent album following on the heels of 2017's A Deeper Understanding which won the uh, Grammy for Best Rock Album um, quite an achievement I think for a band that are basically on the indie spectrum Uh but this this album is just it, it's more consistency from the band. Uh, Adam Granduchiel's songwriting is as amazing as ever. Uh, it doesn't push the envelope uh, any further, really, in terms of their sound. It just consolidates what the what he's so good at and what the band is so good at in writing songs. Um, it's the songs are quite episodic at times, and I think that's something that really comes out in their live show, which is spectacular, one of the best in the world at the moment. Um, it's quite a cacophonous sound that doesn't come across as much on record, but all the building blocks for that, for the songs to grow out of, are really there on the album. Um, so it's an it's an excellent collection of ten songs, uh, and as I say, any anything that's um, you know cementing a band as being, as I said. My favourite from America these days, I think, speaks uh, speaks to the, the standard of the album. So, another great one. At eight, I've got uh, Call Me If You Get Lost by Tyler, the creator. Um, I mean, there's a theme developing here. All the artists I've talked about so far are artists that just keep going from strength to strength. Uh, I really think Tyler has overtaken the vast majority of American rappers uh, in recent years, which has been very interesting, given how divisive and controversial his early uh, output was and quite flabby uh, he's really learnt the art of uh, crafting albums now with the last few um, and that is it, I think he's settled into a niche where he can go on making albums of that quality and style for decades if he wants to with a really you know, really core fan base now around him and a large one as well um, this is quite a, con it's a conceptual album but not to the same extent as the previous album Ego um, but it's still it, it's it's big idea music. It's maybe not that obvious when you first listen to tracks, but I think when you listen to the whole thing um, overarching, uh, you know, there's a lot of storytelling. Um, you can tell how much thought goes into the way that the album's constructed, and that's what always has made him a great artiste. He's really progressed as a producer, uh, although that's always been a strength. But um, it's very exciting and just. As I say, it'd be really interesting to see how long he can keep this run up for because the quality of his last three albums, including this one, uh, is superb. It's presented in, aesthetically in the style of a mixtape, which I thought was quite interesting, but um, there's nothing loose or tossed off about it. It's, um, it's a really supremely constructed album, again. Um, and that is, well, no spoilers, but that was my favourite American hip-hop record of last year. Uh, at number seven, I've got Chemtrails Over the Country Club by Lana Del Rey. Uh, this coming off my favourite album of 2019, Norman Fucking Rockwell. Um, Del Rey, one of the finest 
musicians and songwriters out there today. And this album, I would say, acts as a brilliant companion piece to that record. The tracks front-loaded at the start of Chemtrails are basically a continuation in terms of style, themes from that previous album. They all feel like they would have fit onto that record very easily. As this record progresses, it shifts and becomes quite a a country-focused album, uh, which a lot of people have remarked as being quite Lynchian. It sort of it feels quite twisted, slightly off kilter, which makes it very interesting. Um, it's basically as it progresses, the album basically becomes uh, every song seems more perfect than the last for soundtracking slow motion footage of horses running across fields is the best way I can put it. Um, but yeah, this is uh, as I said, I think. Because Del Rey released another album later in the year, um, I think that quickly answered the question to how much how much longer she could keep up this um, the current creative streak that she's been on um, with first of all the 2019 album and now Chemtrails. Uh, I think that it's hard to operate at that level for any artist for long. Uh, obviously, career peaks are very clear for a lot of artists. Um, although so, obviously some artists, rare artists, do go on to have multiple of those sort of crescendos over their career. But I think with um, Blue Bannisters, the later album from 2021, it's a little bit longer, um, seems a little bit less streamlined. And so I think Chemtrails may potentially be the um, the last instalment of the absolute zenith uh, for Del Rey. But I'd love to be wrong. Uh, but as it is, this is a superb album. Obviously, ranking in at number seven. Um, so, more excellent stuff. And then at six, I've gone with We're All Alone in This Together by Dave. Um, I've said before that I think Dave's debut album, Psychodrama, arguably the best British hip hop album of all time for me. Um, this could rank not very far behind at all. Um, it's very similar in terms of how towering. The themes are the artistry um, again the way the album's been put together this sort of big tent hip hop music which is what I'm always a sucker for as I was referring to before with the comments on Tyler um, UK hip hop when it really hits at the moment is among the very best in the world hence the placement of this so highly in my ranking um, it's extremely progressive stuff from Dave uh, his lyrics are well equal parts playful intelligent empathetic um, the way he speaks for oppressed groups and minority groups on the album is supremely empowering he's so young yet there's, he's never really put a foot wrong artistically so far and uh, there's so much to admire about him uh, multi-talented a um, lot of hints with some of these tracks um, and the way they sprawl uh, the way they develop some very long tracks on the album so many exciting hints as to directions he might go in and continue to explore in the future. Um, absolutely one of Britain's most exciting uh, talents today. And um, just as a side note, having seen him live um, in March, there's nothing more exciting to see than big British hip-hop gigs at the moment. That's when I really feel I'm among my people. And seeing the sort of artist that uh, is really something that this country can be proud of uh, these days when there doesn't seem to be too much else we can say that about. So yeah, that's um, that's number six. And uh, well, as a teaser, let's just say I'm not done with British hip hop yet. So we'll get to back to that in a few minutes. Interesting. 
I'm trying to work out who you mean by that. Um, okay. <laughs> we won't have to wait long to see. No, got no. Some ideas, got some ideas. I have, I have listened to. I think I've listened to everything there, except maybe the Dave track. But I might have heard that one as well. Um, uh, Clive, are you a, a fan of uh, what Michael's had on offer there? Uh, it, it, it's interesting because this, I think, shows just how much music there is um, mm. and how disparate two people's lists can be uh, in this rather than... I don't think it would happen as much in film or any any other sphere, to be honest. Uh, but I've not... I've only heard uh, Call Me If You Get Lost, which came um, 31st on my list. So it's not a short list, uh, which is on uh, stickaroundpodcast.com. If you click on Clive's Album Challenge, you can go down to 2021 on there. Um, to see my list um, yeah Tyler's Great is the only one on it It purely because it's the only one I listened to um, the other four were on my list to get around to and I just haven't yet um, but I'm sure I will like them when I do uh, yeah especially because uh, you've you've made them sound pretty uh, excellent Michael interestingly most my list was taken up by artists I hadn't really listened to before I suppose um, rather than yeah whereas uh, all obviously those albums are all by established um yeah, artists, which is interesting. Um, so yeah, I'm interested to see what's in your top five. Uh, I, I enjoyed Tyler the Creator. Um, Call me if you get lost. Uh, not as much as you, clearly, but if <laughs> 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 I did enjoy it, bear in mind my top uh, thirty, whatever it is. They're all ones I like. Like I didn't list anything I didn't like, so I can't see the point. Um, so was it top thirty-seven? But I liked them all. Um, so yeah, be in- I'm interested to see how many more, how much more crossover there is. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, yeah, there's some big names on this list. Uh, it probably gets a little bit more obscure as I go towards the end, but still all albums that people who you know have been checking out music will have heard of. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, as I say, with the standard and the amount of music available, you can easily do... Two people can do lists that don't really resemble each other. Um, I think if I had more time and put a bit more into it, I'd be looking at 100 albums every year, basically. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, easily you could easily get. Uh, yeah, there's enough quality for that out there. There's enough quality to do more. To be honest, if you did, <laughs> if you did, uh, there actually is. Yeah, <laughs> some proper digging. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think you could pull out a top three hundred that would actually be a quality list every year easily if you went into like underground and whatever. Um, there's that much stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's. <clears throat> well, I often say, obviously, rock music isn't really. It's not really in the mainstream discourse to the extent it used to be. Um, but interestingly, some of the albums, which I said I'm not going to name, but quite a handful of them that didn't quite make the top ten, were um, rock and guitar based. I think that's just reflective mm-hmm. of my tastes, which have become increasingly pop as well. Um, but yeah, the, the good rock music is out there if you dig for it. Yeah, definitely. No, and that's true. Your, your tastes change over time, which inevitably means you like certain albums less or more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, interessant. Mm-hmm. I'm intrigued where the top five goes. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't we have a change of pace? Because as I understand it, Clive, you don't have music to talk about today, so why don't you make No, I didn't realise... I mean, I knew Michael was doing top ten, but I didn't think we were doing a top ten specific episode, so I've not done. Yeah. <laughs> because I've already written them ages ago, I didn't want to... Uh, yeah. It's not fresh in my brain, basically, so I just didn't... Um, I would have essentially been reading out the reviews that I've written on <laughs> stickaroundpockers.com. So just head on over there if you want to read my top ten. I might um, read through the titles of them at the end, perhaps. Um in case people are like oh i'd like to know what he's uh, thought of that album whatever but i thought um what i'm going to do i think in these episodes going forward is a, a thing like because at the minute i'm i think i talked about it last time i'm watching through the letterboxd top 250 films uh, kind of at random 
uh, which I'm really enjoying. Uh, I'm obviously listening to the albums from the years through to the present day. I'm currently on 86, nearly finished that, so that should be up soon. Then I'm on to my birth year of 87. Uh, so what I'm going to do is just talk about the, the one or two things, my favourite bits of culture that I've absorbed since the last episode, I think is where I'm going to go. <laughs> so that could end up being, we'll probably end up being music or films by virtue of those two things. Uh, but could also be uh, I do play the odd game and watch the odd TV show and whatever else. So as it happens this time, they happen to be two films that are actually really closely linked, uh, weirdly. So I'll start with the first one, which is a uh, historical drama from 1985, a Japanese film. Japanese, um, I was just going to say black and white film, and it's not black and white, it's colour, uh, called Ran, which... According to Wikipedia, translates as chaos or turmoil. So I'm assuming Ran is taken maybe like as in the phonetic uh, pronunciation of the uh, Japanese word, but I'm a bit confused there. It's R-A-N. It's just uh, R-A-N. It's just called that. Um, it's directed and co-written by Akira Kurosawa, a bit of a Japanese legend. Uh, many of his films are on the letterbox top 250. Um, the plot derives from William Shakespeare's King Lear, but in an interview I read with him, that doesn't seem to be intentional, whereas I've read a lot of things suggesting it is. Uh, but uh, unless I've read some <laughs> interview that's bollocks, uh, it seems that he himself has said that that's not the case and it just that just kind of happened to be what happened, but he had the idea in his head. Um, it stars Tatsuya Nakadai as Hidatori, and apologies if I fuck up some of these pronunciations, um, Ichimonji, uh, as an ageing Sengoku period warlord who basically decides to abdicate uh, as a ruler in favour of his three sons, uh, to paraphrase the Wikipedia sort of summary. Um, essentially, he gives the oldest of his three sons overall power, as this is essentially the opening scene, uh, and the biggest castle, while the younger two get a castle each too, while he himself retains the title of Great Lord and sort of sits on the sidelines. Um, it turns into an epic about sort of family dynamics, betrayal, um, with some of the ghosts of Ichimonji's past coming back to haunt him, uh, such as the fact his oldest son is married to a woman who belongs to a group that he invaded and stole a castle off, uh, so kind of the complexities of his past uh, coming back to bite him a little bit. Um, it, it, it reportedly took Kurosawa 10 years to storyboard the film um, using detailed paintings. I've seen one of the paintings and they are pretty detailed. Um, and that's definitely evident in how well this film is shot. Uh, there's a kind of, I'd, I'd call it a Wes Anderson-esque attention to detail, uh, but I'd call it a lot less synthetic, obviously. Uh, Wes Anderson, you know, famously placing lots of things to make him symmetrical, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's, that's not here, but there's so much thought in every shot. There's definitely some similarities, uh, especially with the use of colour, which I'll go to later. Um, it's. I was particularly excited to see Kurosawa's use of colour because um, I've so far only seen black and white films by him. Um, I've seen Seven Samurai, Ikiru and High and Low uh, that are all on the list. The latter of those, I've, I've, they're all great films. Um, Seven Samurai probably is the most famous. Um, but High and Low is my personal favourite. Um, and he uses colour here in such a like bold and distinctive way, uh, particularly mainly because of the the main characters kind of dress in these primary colours like their gowns of their castles are like sort of red, yellow and blue I think um, and that kind of makes everything really stick out and their armies dress the same um, it just, yeah, colour colour played like a really vital part in the film and just wasn't like, just happened to be there it, it 
in an odd kind of way, it felt like watching a film in colour for the first time. And I think that's impacted by the fact I'd watched about three black and white Japanese films before this in preceding weeks. Uh, so, but yeah, there's definitely something to it where the colour is, you know, like I say, not just there because oh, we're, you know, we're in 1985 now and we're filming in colour, but it's being used very like deliberately uh, to add to the impact of the film. Um, budget for this was really high at the time. It's apps which is evident from the battle scenes, which are pretty epic. Um, they're all superb. Some of my favourite battle scenes ever, I'd say. Um, this and I think it. This film really just for me shows why Kurosawa is seen as such a, a legend in Japanese cinema and in cinema in general uh, because he's just got such range, like High and Low, Ikaru, uh, and this. You know, the three such different films. Uh, you. <laughs> Other than the fact that they're all excellent, you wouldn't think necessarily reading the plots that they're going to be made by the same director. They have a similar... He's got a certain style to him where I think if you watch them, you can tell. But um, yeah, it's, there's, a, there's a definite range to his skill. Um, yeah, I really loved Ran. It's an epic that's both sprawling and quite simple at the same time. It uh, features some of my favourite battle scenes, like I said, and just some a whole host of like just really jaw-dropping shots there's one in particular with an army on a hill which i don't know i don't think i'll ever forget it it's just beautiful <laughs> it's just like perfect um yeah it's just i would highly recommend it it's got a very even though i've said he doesn't have he doesn't he claims it's not influenced by shakespeare it has a shakespearean feel to it feels a bit like a it definitely feels like a shakespeare play i've not uh, seen or read or anything i know what king is about uh but I don't know it's similar to this, but I've not seen it or anything, so I can't comment as such. But yeah, it definitely has a Shakespearean feel in that it's portraying like a really epic thing, but quite simply. Um, like there are giant battles and stuff, but it really focuses in on the family dynamics and it's not like overloaded with characters, if that makes sense. Whereas a lot of these things with so many different armies could easily, that could easily happen. And I'm massively uh, shit if it starts. I'm generally, you know, I like gangster films. Um, I've watched through The Godfathers. Uh, I love them, but I'll never love them as much as probably some other people do just because I, I get easily confused. There's too many people usually, and I'm just like, I don't know who that guy is, and I don't know what the fuck's going on anymore. Um, so I tend to prefer films with a bit less characters, and this w I would fall into that. So yeah, I would highly recommend everyone check out Ran if you're into, uh, particularly if you're into Japanese cinema. But I think I think it's accessible, certainly more accessible than the other three I've said of his. Uh, well, I'd say they were all uh, just good cinema. But um, yeah, this one's particularly accessible and I think most people would enjoy it. This is one I actually own, but I've never seen. Um, ah, I've, right. I've, I've got the Blu-ray of it because I, I remember reading about it sounding quite interesting. Um, but I, for whatever reason, I just haven't got around to watching it. I've had it quite a while. Um, but I am a... Well, not that I've seen too much, but I am a fan of Kurosawa generally from what I've seen. Um, I'd heard the King Lear thing before, so... And from... From what I've heard about it, which is a lot lot less than you, it seems how it's impossible it's not influenced by King Lear, but I mean, I don't really care, but you know, it's just an Yeah, the one. story like they basically line up very much. Uh I don't know in terms of I've not read the rest of the plot of King Lear, I've just read kind of what it <laughs> what the premise is, and the premises are definitely similar. Uh, but in the interview he claimed to have thought of oh this would be a cool idea. And he is a he's a big Shakespeare fan, he's done uh, like Shakespeare adaptations before so it's not as if he would be against saying it's influenced by it if you know what I mean mm. if it is so just found it a bit odd <laughs> yeah but, uh, it would be interesting to read more into that 
I, I think I'm think I'm going to have to watch this next now. Uh, there's a few films I own that I haven't got around to watching yet, just because there's so much choice out there, isn't there? Especially with all the streaming platforms. But, um, yeah. but yeah, I think it's going to have to go right to the top. Um, Michael, have you seen this? <clears throat> no, um, I can't really offer much. Um, but I mean, it obviously sounds brilliant. I'm sure I'd be able to sit and get a lot out of watching it. Okay, no. Right. Well, we'll change up the pace once again. We will go back to Michael uh, so we can wow us with uh, the best songs of last year. Albums, yeah. Albums, sorry. Um, yeah, so uh, going into the top five. Um, so the, um, <clears throat> the fifth is the other British hip hop album I was referring to and the highest ranked hip hop album on my list. Uh, and that is Sometimes I Might Be Introvert by Little Sims. Uh, uh, this is a quite spectacular album uh, 2019's Grey Area was um, a very lean and brilliant album which was um, had quite a battle rap flavour for a lot of it but also counterbalanced with some extremely soulful tracks uh, this has those elements but it's gone for a much more symphonic sound that sounds absolutely massive uh, it's really quite cavernous at times and um, in, in tandem with that uh, the well, the album's quite conf- confessional. Uh, a lot of very personal themes on it. Um, much the same as I mentioned with Dave. Very progressive worldview um, articulated throughout the album. Uh, there are still, as I said, that they does still drop drop in some of those battle rap style tracks, uh, more aggressive stuff uh, throughout. There's plenty of soul and jazzier moments as well. Um, there's even uh, I would say, well, I would say that the album it reminds me very much of the neo soul era at the turn of the century, without really musically being that sort of thing. Um, but certainly, the elements involved when they come together are very reminiscent of the big heavyweight albums from that era, which are some of my favourite of all time. Uh, so I think this slots in quite nicely into that sort of lineage. Um, yeah, I would say there's even. As I said, there's, there's aspects, um, there's a track I See You, which I think even sounds a bit like um, turn-of-the-century Radiohead in terms of its music for, for me. Um, so there's a lot of um, progressive and experimental tendencies throughout. Uh, it's a jam-packed album, um, thematic interludes, uh, quite fantastical um, direction in terms of concept and themes. Um as I say, even though it's uh, it's long, there isn't a wasted second on it, um, and it's a very rewarding listen to keep going back to. Um, and this is again one of the best hip hop albums that the UK has produced to date. Um, so yeah, it it really exciting to know that we now have artists, uh, chiefly down in London, uh, who are capable of producing albums this strong. Uh, and I'm sure this is going to go down as a very memorable album for all those reasons um, moving along to number 4 and staying in the UK here I went with um, another album that I think is an instant classic uh, New Long Leg but the debut album by Dry Cleaning um, this is part of the um, the post-punk British sound um, that I call Brexit Wave um, it's become much more prominent in the last 6 years or so um, sort of a, a revitalization of the classic British post-punk sound, um, a sound that's uh, yeah very much typified um, by 
the music scene on these islands over the decades. Um, this is such an interesting and entertaining listen, uh, chiefly, though not entirely, as I'll get to, for the lyrics and vocal performance of frontwoman Florence Shaw. Um, the lyrics are essentially delivered in the style of um, disembodied snapshots. They're almost like ran reading out random tweets, I would say, hoovered up from across um, across the online sphere. Uh, and that's That makes them sound extremely modern. Uh, they're delivered in a quite nonchalant, detached, um, very self-consciously cool style um, that isn't really like anything else. Uh, although I guess it sort of reminds me of some Kim Gordon moments on uh, classic Sonic Youth albums. Um, there's even a lyric in there about uh, wearing aviators and firing a bazooka, which I think is a play on the sort of that self-awareness of just how sort of hip the style is. Um, I say chiefly um, that the enjoyment comes from that because these guys do also have chops. I mean, they can write riffs equally on guitar and bass, which I think is always important for post-punk. So these songs are actually, for post-punk standards, they're actually very bouncy, very dynamic in the way they've um, been slotted together. Uh, and that that standard is maintained throughout the 10 tracks. And that's why I say this, you know, it, it really came across as an instant classic from the first listen. Uh, they'll be following the album up later this year, so it'll be interesting to see if they can... Uh, come up with a wor worthy soft my effort uh, but this was a superb debut um, hence why it's ranked so highly and also very singular uh, at three I've got an album that did have a lot of buzz last year or I, th I thought it was weirdly ignored in some experimental circles, it is a pretty experimental album and that is Sinner Get Ready by Lingua Ignota um, the pseudonym of American musician Kristen Hater uh, this is an extremely heavy and dark listen, to be honest. Um, although I think it's not quite as oppressive and claustrophobic in sound as some of uh, the previous Lingua Ignota works. Uh, it's effectively uh, neoclassical, um, but there's a lot of different styles and influences. So Lingua Ignota has always been influenced by industrial music, and I think that is present here, even though this isn't quite as electronic or as dense as some of the previous work, as I mentioned. Industrial still can have that sort of influence, anything that has a sort of sinister buzz behind it musically, and that is still present here. Uh, there's a lot of influence from Appalachian folk music here. And uh, the whole Lingua Ignota project is basically centred around voicing the perspective of survivors of domestic abuse, which is what makes this, you know, as I say, very heavy subject matter um, but extremely powerful and extremely vital um, and the presentation of the tracks is done structurally and lyrically almost in the style of um, religious preaching I would say or religious ceremony um, and it's it's extremely stirring to listen to to say the least um, in terms of comparing it to artists, that becomes quite difficult, but I would say certainly the vocal artist Diamanda Galas, um, big uh, resonances of some of her work in this. Uh, late Scott Walker as well, obviously extremely singular, um, the, the later Scott Walker albums, but 
certain similarities here for sure. Um, and obviously these are extremely um, experimental musicians who would be an abrasive listen to most people. Uh, but I think, as I've, as I've referred to, the power of the album and the themes contained within it um, really had, you know, really resonated with a lot of people, which is why an album of this style um, that's so unusual to listen to musically um, and so significant in terms of its messaging was still uh, a, a very talked about album last year and ranked very highly. Um, it's This obviously isn't the sort of album that you go to regularly, but it's on those occasions where it's the right time to listen to it um, you're going to come across very little um, quite as moving uh, and quite as astonishing and yet despite all that praise I've only got it ranked at number 3 so <laughs> at number 2 I've got uh, Hear What by the American band Law um, this is Alan Sparhawk and Mimi Parker's 13th album uh, over the years and well, on the previous album Double Negative um that was really across what is a, a, a very treasured and acclaimed catalogue um, among fans of um, '90s underground guitar music onwards. Um, that was still a standout for sure, um, arguably a career high. Um, I always think when you listen back to albums from previous years, when you didn't experience their release then and the context that they were released under. Um, I always think you, you when you listen to those albums that have got, come to be known as classics, you can really feel that when you first listen to them. It's a lot harder to pick out what's going to be thought of as an album in that style and with that sort of praise in the future when those albums are dropping every other week. You, you, you know, you, you're trying to pick them out uh, quite instantly, which isn't an easy thing to do. Uh, but I think that's the sort of standard of material law re, uh, releasing lately. Uh, it was certainly the case with Double Negative, which was... Not in terms of track lengths and structure, I was going to say quite post-rocky, but t certainly in terms of the mu musical manifesto it seems to be laying out, uh, the strides it's taking forward, which hasn't really... I mean, I can't think of many guitar albums that are similar. They're almost unrecognisable, really, as, as rock albums, even though they're made um, using that sort of instrumentation, and that is that is typical of uh, of any sort of post-rock, really. Um, but where Double Negative was, um, you know, absolutely laden with dread, um, and had a sort of atmosphere of uh, of static to it, uh, here what is, I don't know, it's almost a little bit more hopeful. But it's still some of these some of the tracks on the album are, are among the most fascinating and incredible that I heard last year. Um, there's certainly industrial influence there as well. I would say in some of these tracks. Um, so they're all very shimmering and mysterious some of them are heavier than others um, but they all contain absolutely beautiful songs within them and as I say uh, extremely innovative and unique music that isn't really being made by anyone else sometimes bands come out with that straight away uh, with, they emerge with a sound like that that no one else is really achieving um, and I think Law have been praised in those sort of terms over the years before but when someone's doing it with their 12th, 13th albums or so, uh, I think you, you really know how much experience has gone into those records. And uh, yeah, Law are one of the most interesting acts working uh, in the modern era now, and they're proving it with the standard of uh, instant classic albums that they're bringing out. 
as I say, these these are easily p- picked out as albums that are going to go down as something very important. I think in future, um, and that it's one thing to do that; it's another for the album to be so enjoyable to keep going back to and listening to. Obviously, sometimes records of this sort are quite a difficult listen, much like the Lingo Ignota album, as I said. But that's certainly not the case case with Hear What. Uh, it's a very pleasurable and evocative album to immerse yourself in, in my view, uh, even if it does have still a darkness to it, if not to the same extent as Double Negative did. Uh, but yeah, this superb album that I've got ranked at number two. Clive, any comments on these? I know you hadn't listened to as many on the first lot. These, I've, I've, all of these are on my list, so um, <laughs> interesting turn of events. So... <laughs> Uh, Little Sims, I've had at number twenty-five. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's, it's just—it's a great album. It's very expansive. Uh, good to see this coming out of uh, British hip hop. Um, I've got Dry Cleaning's New Long Leg at number thirty-four. Um, I liked it. I found it a bit long, and I just—it struggled to pull me in. It is quite dreary in terms of the delivery, uh, which is—it's just a taste thing. Um, I like it, and it's edgy and it's hip, but it didn't make me didn't pull me in. <laughs> Okay, and I think it would have done that more if it had been a bit less long, uh, personally. Uh, Lingo Ignota, Cinegate Radio, yeah, it's superb. It's like, unlike anything else I've ever heard. Um, I've got it at 23. I think purely because of what you said in that it's quite difficult to listen to, uh, so I just didn't really return to it as much as some other stuff. Um, but it's there's no doubt it's, you know, it's really singular. It's a superb vocal performance throughout, and it's uh, it's just got a completely unique atmosphere to it and i'm always uh, i'm all for that so yeah absolutely loved it and uh, the highest one on your list so far is the highest one on my list as well mm-hmm. uh hey what's low I came in at number 11 um on my list and yeah i think you're you summed it up with using rock instrumentation to sound <laughs> not that much like rock yeah uh yeah and also just doing yeah it's guitar but it sounds different uh, and i've always thought that's hasn't been tapped into as much as it could have because yes electric guitar you know acoustic guitars sound like acoustic guitars but electric guitars you can do so much with them uh, and i feel like that hasn't really been tapped into the max um, and and this is a good example of something that sounds different to what's generally coming out of guitar music and i love guitar music but <laughs> yeah uh yeah it's particularly great so good to hear those four uh on your list michael Thank you, yeah. No, I think the possibilities of the guitar obviously endless. We probably don't understand them, but to, to be able to make a record this accessible with it, I think, is, is part of the appeal. Um, so listenable, um, while being so interesting as well. So that's the balance. Yeah, I think that's the dream balance for musicians, really. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's the thing that's hard to pull off. Like, yeah, you can get Fair. It's it's not easy to come up with something original, but it's easier to come up with something original if you're not worried about whether it's enjoyable to listen to or not. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, absolutely. So that, but that doesn't mean that that doesn't have any value. Like I think quite often mm-hmm. that's how certain genres start off, and then it gets refined and becomes something that is perhaps a little bit more accessible. But yeah, that's so true. Can yeah. start off with somebody just putting something out there that everyone's just like, "What the fuck." <laughs> Or people just get used to it and get it more over time. Yeah. Uh, that's also very true, too. I mentioned industrial a couple of times with those last two albums. I think that's a genre where that's definitely the case. You know, when that was first done, it was probably, to a lot of people, it would be unlistenable experiments, which has gone on to become quite an influential subgenre. So, prime example. Yeah. Definitely. Great stuff. I'm excited to hear what number one is. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to work it out. Um... I looked down my list and I couldn't. 
I've got some idea, maybe, but we'll see. Well, the interesting... I'll give you... Uh, this is the only clue I'll give. The interesting thing about number <laughs> one is... Um, I can't remember what's on the list now, Clive, so I wouldn't be surprised if this isn't on there at all. However, it is an album that I'm sure you would love if you listen to. So, let's see. Okay. Mm, that's great. Interesting. Right. I'm going to uh, break this up. Uh, I'm not going to talk about anything anything media. I want to just ask you both a question. If you're making oh. a crisps, crisp sandwich, what crisps are you having? <laughs> oh. <laughs> I can't believe you're asking this question. You know what my answer is. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, Clive. Uh, already solid, mate. No, no, no questions. Can I put anything else in it, or does it just have to be crisp? Yeah, no, let's just say you've got some nice bread. Uh, you know, you've got um, nice spread. I will say because Michael doesn't wouldn't have oh, butter, no. obviously. But um, the word spread is not that does not <laughs> agree with me. <laughs> um, and just the crisps themselves, because you know it's just going to be a, a bog standard okay. crisp sandwich. Yeah, I would absolutely want ready salt. I wouldn't want anything else. I would, I'd eat other stuff, but that'd be my first choice. Michael, but a good a good quality ready salt, crisp. Um, beef hula hoops. Beef hula. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Are they not going to be like tearing up the bread? No, it works. To... I've, I've done it before. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if you put them in a certain way round. Like is it the mm-hmm. way around? Yeah, that's wrong? that's it. Yeah, possibilities yeah. there, yeah. options. <laughs> but do they not roll out? <laughs> well, that, yeah, that's that is mm, depends on the bread, okay. I guess. Yeah, need mm. soft enough bread. Flame grilled oh. steak macaws are a good choice as well. Yeah, oh, not the best macaws though, in my opinion. Um, Thai sweet chicken, uh, oh, <coughs> god tier. <coughs> mm. What what would be your choice, Bial? I think it's going to be something like that. A bit um, out there. It was up there, but I'm going to go with pickled onion monster munch because they're quite easy to crush okay. up into the bread, so you've kind of got the um, nice texture, strong flavour. I know that's okay. not your bag, but you know... Um... It's literally not a bag, no. But... <laughs> but I was, that's what I was going to crack. <laughs> <But yeah. laughs> I left, uh, I left pick- it, but I'm that- pleased you did it. <laughs> It was. It wasn't below me. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, they're fine. Too much flavour. I like a, a good ready salted. Pick- Just want salt on it. I don't want any of this shit. Pickled onion monster muncher overrated. I mean, monster muncher fine, but not onion. No. Oh, come on, Michael. Come on. <laughs> I, I, anything with onion is generally not great. Cheese and onion, the worst flavour of all the flavours. Pick- pickled onions, that one one of the best flavours because it's it's quite. Um, Vinegary and uh, strong flavour. That's that's the problem. Yeah, that is the problem. <laughs> I, I, I th- like salt and vinegar. I should have remembered Just before asking the this question bit. that you two are kind of freaks <laughs> when it comes to crisps. Well, I think I, this this proves you're the freak. So only in this scenario. <laughs> I thought we put this to the There's general more public. people that like red that think ready salt is better than you let on. I think. Don't make me use the. I speak to a lot of people who agree with me more than I'd imagine. I always think it's an outrageous opinion, and they're like, "No, I feel the same." I'm like, "Oh, good." Don't you start talking about the public where oh, I'll have to use the peep show quote. <laughs> What's that? Do it anyway, Michael. <laughs> people like Coldplay voted for the Nazis. You can't trust people, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> Which it also kind of reminds me of a George Carlin quote that I'm going to paraf- that I'm probably going to get wrong, but it's something along the lines of, "Imagine how stupid your average person is, and then think about the fact fifty percent of people are stupider than that." <laughs> oh yeah, uh, something along those lines. I'm sure he was talking uh, about pickled onion monster much when he came up with that. Oh sure come on, no, come on! I'm not having this. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to move this topic on. Uh, we're losing subscribers. <laughs> you every open Pandora's box, you speak. Man. 
You started it. <sighs> Fine. Uh, right, okay, well... <laughs> let's Pan- move on. Pl- Pandora's bag. Sorry, I might have been a bit late, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's the title. I'm not going to lie, Michael. That, that, that was... Um, <laughs> that was Brent like there, just realising you had a good one and then just coming back in. It was still just about acceptable, I thought. Just about, yeah. Okay. The, whole, the whole segment was worth it for that. <laughs> yeah. Right, let's move on to something hopefully less controversial. Um, Clive, what else have you got to talk about? Um, I have got another film, uh, as I said, uh, which is curiously... This is, I didn't know this link before I... Uh, read about this film but it is coincidentally i believe kurosawa's favorite film uh, (laughs) who i just talked about earlier um which is where is the friend's house um it's a 1987 iranian film uh written and directed by abbas kirastami i should have i think that's probably right that's what it looks like uh it depicts a a schoolboy's attempt to return his friend's school notebook to his uh, to his home in a neighboring village um essentially to prevent the friend from being expelled if he fails to hand it in the next day. The opening scene is a speci- is this kid essentially getting rollicked by the teacher uh, that, why hasn't he got his notebook and this is the third time, if he doesn't have it tomorrow he <laughs> he will uh, he'll get expelled and uh, it turns out this guy's got it so he wants to return it. Um, the title apparently derives from a poem by um, Sorab Seperi again, I should, may have pronounced that wrong um, a poem that I have not read. Um, Kiristami's directing style, really simple. I, I mean, the premise sounds dead simple. Uh, <laughs> uh, and that's what I love about it. He, he, he likes to stick uh, the camera in kind of unconventional places. That's definitely a, a, a theme. Um, and he also likes to kind of plonk the camera in one space that has a great sort of backdrop and then kind of watch a scene pan out from there rather than maybe changing camera angles constantly um he uses that to great effect not constantly but uh definitely one or two times and i've, I've watched the follow-up to this um and life goes on this is part of what's called the coca trilogy even though um kiristami himself has never referred to it as that people call it that because all the films are, are based uh, around coca the the village or town um so yeah, there's definitely a, a bit of a theme that he does that, um, and there's a couple of scenes in this where that kind of technique creates a really breathtaking, um, almost like a moving painting. Uh, most famously, when the ch- the child runs up the hill, uh, kind of following a zigzag route to get to the next village, which is if you ever see a poster of the of about, of the film, it's generally it's either the kid holding up the notebook or that image, <laughs> and it's quite an iconic image. Um, as with much of his work, uh, there's lots of kind of hidden stuff hidden beneath the like uh, apparently quite simple surface. Uh, like I said, the plot sounds quite simple, but there's a lot to it. Uh, here we've got kind of a constant theme of children not being listened to by adults, and then they themselves kind of growing up not to really listen to anyone else. <laughs> uh, there's, there's definitely a theme of people around not listening to your, to the main character and that and not listening to each other. Uh, something I think we're seeing uh, kind of play out in certain aspects of today's society. Uh, and to me, it's kind of a parable against the idea that children should be seen and not heard and suggests that, in fact, they should be seen and heard. Um, our central character here is like, he's, he's one of like great empathy and he's carrying out a, a really admirable mission, really, uh, but only few, very t- only few take time to listen to it uh, and almost just assume that he's just being a typical, you know, pain in the ass kid um whereas that is that's absolutely not the case um it's in one of the simplest films i've ever seen and, and i mean that 
as a compliment. Kiristami is kind of masterful. He's got a really empathetic direction style that takes you right to uh, wherever he's filming here in Coca. Um, and we kind of feel as part of it as everyone else does in the film, it feels like. It's not, I wouldn't call it quite hyper-realist, but it's got that vibe to it, in a way. Um, he's quite happy to have some conversations that maybe don't necessarily serve certain things or have show things that don't necessarily serve the plot and things like that, where it feel makes it feel a little bit more real um, rather than bang, bang, plot point, plot point, plot point. Um, it's just, it, it's a film like of kind of simple and yet profound conversations of shots that are just really beautiful in an unassuming way. And of basically the echoes that our childhoods have on our later lives. That's kind of what I took from it. Um, and I would go so far as, along with the last one, to call this a masterpiece. And this particular one is, uh, well, they both are. They're both new favourites, which is always exciting uh, to have uh, <laughs> new films to add to your list of favourite films. Um, and, and this is definitely one of them. And I'm excited to watch the third in the Coca trilogy. Hopefully, probably going to be the next one I watch. But yeah, this is another one, obviously, from the Letterbox Top 250. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have heard of it. Um, and I'm loving the kind of, just the array of like, uh, international cinema on there in particular and that has often been what I'm enjoying the most just because uh, particularly films like this that feel a bit more hyper like hyper realism even though they're not um, it almost takes you like I love traveling and this feels a bit like uh, <laughs> the the best second option when you can't travel uh, just really getting taken to a place and feeling like you're here you're getting a true kind of feel for what uh, that place is like and uh, stories that happen in that place um, and just a real kind of empathy for the people of a certain place. And yeah, this film absolutely has that. And I'd recommend anyone to watch it unless you're the type of person who doesn't, who doesn't like films where not a lot happens, I guess. Uh, and there are those people out there and that's fair enough. But um, th I'd put that, this in that box. <laughs> it's not about what happens. It's about the way it's presented. Um, and it's, yeah, it's really beautiful. I highly recommend it. Have you heard of this, Al? Or indeed of a, uh, Kiristami. I have heard of it, I've never seen it, and I didn't really know much about it, so um, I could have you know, I, I know the title but it's, it sounds quite intriguing I mean, um, there are, did you say it was Iranian? Yes, it is, yeah. I think there's quite a good good selection of cinema out of Iran. Um, apparently a film that's doing the rounds on the festivals at the minute is um, the best film of the year so far I forget the name of it, but I think there's some quite interesting films being made out of there, which is funny considering the kind of repressive regime they have. Yeah, it is interesting, definitely. I know. Um, I, I don't know what his favorite, most famous film is, to be honest. But I think it might be. I know Taste of Cherry is quite famous, and I've heard of The Wind Will Carry Us before, which are both um, his films too. But yeah, I know what you mean. There's definitely quite a few independent films where I've seen at the cinema where it, that have been coming out of Iran. So it definitely seems like a place that has. And you definitely notice looking at this list, there are certain areas, and it will be biases by people because it's essentially Letterbox to say, you know, it's like IMDb, but a little bit more for film buffs, I'd say. So, like a slightly more pretentious version of IMDb, maybe. Um, but it's basically just people's ratings, it's not like on reviews or anything. Um, and there's definitely, there will be biases as to which country's cinema get into that list purely because of that. But it's interesting that there are definitely certain types of cinema that are more prominent there's a, there are a few iranian films in there i think mostly by this director but there's a lot of japanese uh, <laughs> stuff in there um and yeah it's interesting just like which countries have kind of a rich cinema tradition quite a few turkish too mm. 
Well, it wasn't on my list, but I think it will be now, um, based on based on your thoughts. Michael, this one you've heard of at all? No, I can't say so. I mean, it's probably obvious from this that like, I've not been doing a lot of film watching lately, although I do still. Um, but, yeah, when it comes to the foreign cinema, um, I've watched plenty over time, obviously, but, yeah, I'm a little bit out of touch with things. Uh, obviously, with older films, I haven't been doing the digging, so I'm not coming across as much. Um, but, you know, from everything that Clive's talked about for both both of them, um, you know, I'm sure there are things that I'd sit down and find very enriching to watch. Yeah, definitely. Um, and as, as with music, there's just so much out there. It's uh, yeah, <laughs> it's awful to get through it it's all. Crazy. Particularly if you're going uh, like into the into the past. <laughs> yeah. Mm, okay. Well, that's fascinating to me. Uh, but you know what, Clive? I'm really sorry, but it's not as fascinating as what Michael's <laughs> number one. <laughs> that's fair enough. Wow. I'm pretty fascinated by this prospect. Big, big it up there. <laughs> okay, so. Number one, my favourite album of 2021, as things stand, is Frailty by the American bedroom producer Delete Zeke, spelled D-L-T-Z-K. Um, so Delete Zeke uh, makes what can be broadly considered Digicar, which is a sort of crossover genre of, well, I guess it's, of indie rock and emo with digital and electronic influences. Um, this is an instant classic for me. Uh, I think this, even if it's only remembered by certain people, it's definitely going to be um, a much touted and very well remembered album in the years to come. Uh, it has an extremely contemporary sound. Uh, you can uh, put it in there with uh, in the hyper pop canon for me as well. A lot of similarities with that genre. Um, which feels like it's fizzled out a little bit, coinciding with the death of Sophie last year. Um, although I think that's, you know, we tell ourselves these narratives, that's probably partly coincidental. Um, but it seems like it's it's moved away a little bit. Um, so Delete Zeke also uh, plays a genre that they um, they minted themselves, Daria Car, which is a bit more heavily EDM influenced, I believe, without having been exposed to too much of it. Uh, but the music on this album, which is 13 tracks long, um, it's quite a sprawling record. It clocks in at under an hour, but the tracks are very developed. Uh, it's a debut album. Um, so it's it's one of those lightning in a bottle records where an artist who is, hasn't even turned 20 yet uh, has really captured something. Um, and a very modern sound, uh, which is a joy to listen to. Um it is effectively an emo record, as I say. It's one of those obscure, semi-obscure emo records that I think is going to go down in history the way they do uh, among you know cult emo followers. Um, it's really a beautiful album, I, I would say. Um, amazing soundscapes that, as I say, utilise electronic influence. There's a lot of um, digital debris in terms of the percussion flying about and the sounds... Uh, very much a post-Skrillex album, definitely influenced by Skrillex. Um, it sort of mimics the, the gathering storm cloud sound of Midwest emo, but in electronic form, um, and builds up to a lot of, uh, of breakdowns. Um, the vocals are um, 
I would say they're they're pretty emo centric. Um, I think it's 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 really a gorgeous package at times the way it all slots together. Um, there's a lot of production wise, it's a lot of guitar lines that sound like they're about to flip into electronic lines and vice versa. I think that's very reminiscent of uh, the production on Juice World's two posthumous albums, which are both obviously big hit albums, especially in the US. Uh, so there's, in as I say, I think it really captures a certain sound in 2021, 2022, uh, that's typical of the sort of chaos uh, of the modern world, the chaos of the online spectrum, um, and the fact that it's um, been brought out by um, a Gen, Gen Z artist is is certainly no surprise in that sense. Um, the whole album is brilliant, so I'm not going to try and um, give track recommendations, really. It has to be experienced as a whole, I would say. There's a lot of recurring motifs um, in the way that the album is is structured uh, that really sort of seem to build up to the last track, Let's Go Home. But as I say, I wouldn't rank that above anything else. Uh, it's, as you would expect for an album, rank this highly on my list. It's extremely consistent in terms of enjoyment. Um, but if there was uh, a single for an album like this, which you don't really have in the sort of band camp era, I guess, um, then I would recommend the track How To Lie, which is a very concise, uh, shorter one of the shorter tracks on the album that I think really encapsulates all the appeal and uh, and is typical of the sound of the record um, has uh, a really thrilling breakdown uh, in it as well as being uh, a great pop song and yeah I think I don't know if uh, Delete Seek is uh, familiar with the 1975 um, I would imagine so um, based on their age uh, and the fact that the 1975 certainly were emo, emo influences, indie rock influences and dabble in that sort of thing but the the um, the vocal lines very much reminded me of Matty Healy throughout this record uh, could be a complete uh, coincidence but I don't think so even if that even if Delete Seek hasn't been listening because you know as I say dabbling in the same sort of areas in some senses and I think this is a record obviously the 1975 are what they are I don't want to shoehorn 1975 references into everything I praise uh, but as the you know the most important band in the world for me right now I think it's no surprise that um, there's a relationship uh, in my head between the two uh, I think this is the sort of record that Matty Healy would enjoy. Uh, I don't know if he's heard it, and that uh, uh, I think he'd be particularly proud to to write because I think it's the sort of area. I don't think the 1975 are ever going to push into that fully digitized area, but I think in terms of the the sort of online themes of their work uh, and the way they write, this is kind of the the sort of album I imagine that they would produce if they were pushed to their absolute logical extreme. Um, but you know. You're always going to have acts out there, especially young, vibrant, fresh artists like Delete Zeke, who are going to are going to reach that point more quickly if they uh, if they pursue it trenchantly. So, don't know what the future holds for Delete Zeke. Indeed, we don't really know very much about them. Um, quite an anonymous uh, creator of music thus far. Uh, as I said, very young, but to be that age and to have already produced your classic is uh, is really something to behold. I think. Um, and if there was nothing else, uh, this album will go down in emo history, I think. So it's it's just flat out the best album I heard last year. Clive, any thoughts on this one? 
Um, I've not listened to this, but yeah, it sounds fantastic. Uh, the cover uh, set looks familiar, so I've seen it around. It's well, it's one of those uh, albums. I, th- I should have mentioned that really, where the cover is the perfect sort of uh, symbol for yeah. the record. You've got that sort of mixture of the t- just the traditional um, and the digital, the sort of digitized photo of a porch. Uh, it's grainy when you glance when you do, when you sort of glance at it. You don't know if it's old or futuristic. Do you know what I mean? And that's that's sort of what the album is all about to me. Uh, so yeah, it's one of those yeah. where the record cover is really a portal to the album, which is always great. And I'm a big fan of uh, emo, as we know. So, oh yeah, I absolutely and, and I love it uh, as being I, incorporated into other genres <laughs> for sure. I think, as I said earlier, I think that you guaranteed that you would love this. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like it. So I've uh, just downloaded it, and interestingly, I'm just reading. I was just reading the Wikipedia page, and it he states what, uh, the state one of their influences is Port Robinson, who was my number one of uh, <laughs> 2021. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, I didn't remember that. That's yeah. I've never really listened to Port Robinson that extensively. I know it, it, there was the collaboration with Madian, wasn't there? Uh, who I'm more familiar with back a few years back this is the first thing I've listened to of Paul Robinson so right, yeah. me, ne- me neither but um, yeah, yeah Nurture was my my number one of 2021 well, there you I go really that's, an, that's another hook for you specifically then but yeah I should go away and listen to Paul Robinson then in, in exchange <laughs> yes yeah. <laughs> but yeah that's that's it there we are hmm. okay um, I'm just going to like I said at the start, I don't really have a lot to say this week other than my crisp conversation. Um, <laughs> the only other thing I'm going to mention is just a recommendation, really, rather than a review. I can't remember if I mentioned this last time, um, but I've been watching a series on Apple Plus called Blackbird, uh, which stars Taron Edgerton and the criminally underrated Paul Walter Hauser. Um, it's essentially about a serial killer who is going to get off on a technicality unless they can um, get information from him that proves he really is the killer. Um, so they send in some drug dealer offering to uh, commute his sentence if he can get a confession. Um, it's riveting stuff, and it's a bit of a twist on the kind of serial killer kind of thriller genre. Um, I don't think anybody seems to have Apple TV except for me, but um, there really is some good stuff on there. Um and that has mainly been what's taken my attention this month. And Clive, are you, are you aware of this at all? Heard of it? I'm not aware of it. No. Um, you started with. I wonder if you'd heard about this thing on Apple TV, and I knew. I thought, oh, you will have mentioned it because you've you talked about Apple TV before, but you haven't. <laughs> this is a different one. Uh, so yeah, testament to the fact that there's there's some good stuff on there, as you say. And this sounds interesting. Uh, as as we know, I don't really watch many TV shows. No, this. fair enough. Whether uh, it, we've just wa- we've just finished watching Made actually, I watch all the TV shows without if I watch anything. Yeah, and um, so it's stuff that she'd be intrigued in. Uh, and yeah, Made was great. We enjoyed it. I will say though that this show has, in my opinion, the sexiest words in all of entertainment attached to it. Wow, mini series. Uh, okay, so it's yeah. limited. You know, it's going to get wrapped up in six to eight episodes. It's basically a long film. And I don't think there's anything better than that. Uh, I'm absolutely with you on that. Um, as you know, if I'm going to watch a series, I want it to be that, not a epic series. <laughs> I think... Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> that a, definitely makes me more, more intrigued. There's a time and a place for both, but some there are a lot of shows out there that would have benefited from being a mini-series or possibly a two-season at most. Um, 
yeah, I love a miniseries. You can't beat them. Um, Michael, is this one you've heard of? I've seen it trailed, actually, yeah. Um, my brother's got Apple TV, and he seems to love a lot of the content on it. Mm. Um, I find it, just when I saw the trailer, I didn't. I wasn't paying full attention, to be honest. But with TV, I think there's so much out there, isn't there? I find it really hard to discern from a trailer whether something's going to be good or not. I mean, you shouldn't do that anyway. No, uh, But yeah. with, with TV, you kind of have to invest, don't you, in it a little bit yeah. to find out yourself. And I find that, because it demands so much time, I find it quite difficult to do. Yeah, I mean, the bit that kind of dragged me to this, aside from the trailer, was the fact that it's, um, I think, written and executive... Well, maybe not written, but uh, executive produced by Dennis Lehane. In fact, no, I think he did, right? Um, He's probably better known for things like Mystic River and Shutter Island. And he's... um, I think he's written part part of The Wire as well. Um, And also, I love Paul Walter Hauser. I mean, he's one of these guys who only ever gets to play creeps and weirdos. Um, just because of his appearance, but he's a brilliant actor. Yeah, you need those. Uh, that's exactly what you need, don't you, to keep uh, acting ticking over. You need those people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anyway, I am, next time I will have things more prepared. Um, but I just wanted to recommend that because um, I think it'll be up a lot of people's streets. Yeah, no, definitely sounds sounds appealing, and uh, as you said, miniseries, uh, yeah, always appealing. But, but Michael pretty much hit the nail on the head. It's yeah, it's always a, just feels like a bigger commitment than most other. It's on a par with a, a game, I guess, is a similar yeah. commitment. They're always quite long, uh, and at the minute, <laughs> I'm not doing any of that either. So, yeah, it's yeah, we'll see. We will see. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of stuff out there. It certainly is. Um... No sign of the golden age of TV uh, finishing. No, I mean... Anytime soon. Maybe it already ended, I don't know. Like, maybe you don't know that until after it's, you know, it's no, gone, yeah, possibly. But, yeah. Certainly the popularity of it doesn't doesn't show any signs of waning. No, definitely um, not. People always think I'm completely odd that I don't watch TV shows. Uh, I feel like we've gone into the silver edge now. That's kind of my interpretation <laughs> of it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Like it's still obviously um, at the forefront of what's exciting creatively, isn't it? But uh, I think those. Well, I don't know. It depends how you look at it, because obviously I haven't seen Severance, but clearly that was a show that was on par with some of the the standouts of the golden era. So uh, I would say yeah. so. Yeah, I think we have to we have to see what happens when it when the dust settles, don't we? Which, however yeah. many years that is. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's no, there's no sign to the end of it at the minute, is there? In terms of its popularity, anyway, I guess. The quality may start to dip at some point when they run out of ideas. Um, and you've got like succession as well. Um, I suppose we have to see how Severance runs, don't we? That's the thing. So it all takes time. Well, one of my favourite TV shows of all time has its last ever episode this Tuesday uh, Better Call Saul. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's um, a huge, hugely acclaimed show, yeah. And uh, well, Better Call Saul it, it does something that always amazes me. It's a prequel which somehow has a hell of a lot of tension in it. You know for a fact he makes it to, you know, he's going to survive the situation. Um, yeah, it still builds tension. I mean, it, what I love about Better Call Saul is its obsession with uh, minutiae of detail. Often, lots of things in the show um, are just obsessed about little things. So you'd be watching something getting made or something being um, just the procedure for something, which might sound really dull, but the way they do it is not at all. Um, yeah. I'll be sad that- to see it go. I mean, I, literally, um, you know, he nearly died making this season. Um, 
Well, I don't know if you remember that Bob Odenkirk. He had a, I think he had a heart attack on set, mm-hmm. and he Jeez. he came back to finish it off. Um, and it, it has been outstanding as well. Um, we're actually it- in the show. We're at a point where we he's built up to where he gets to in Breaking Bad, and now we're seeing what happens after Breaking Bad. So it's the first time in okay. all six seasons where you don't actually know where he's going to end up. That's interesting. Mm. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. Has it always I've been? I've heard a lot of people going on about. It. Has it always been on Netflix? Uh, in the UK, yeah. Oh, I think right. in America it was in AMC, but I oh, like Breaking Bad. That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, interesting. Does anybody else have anything they want to add this week for our listeners? Uh, no, I could run through my top ten. Just list it. If that'll be. Yeah, do it. Yeah, go for it. Okay, go for it. we'll do that. Uh, so number ten, Jeff Rosenstock, Scar Dream, um, a Scar redo of his uh, uh, No Dream album. Um, number nine, to see the next part of the Dream by Paranol. Uh, number eight, Smiling with No Teeth by Genesis Owusu, which had probably my favourite song of the year on it, uh, a song about fishing. Which fuck it, I've got to quote the chorus, uh, which is one of my favourite sort of. Uh, descriptions of depression uh, and rise and shine to dawn i wake to cast my net in a fishless lake superb um number seven ignorance by weather station uh six the turning wheel by spelling with three l's uh number five Amdu mokhtar's afrique victim again i'm probably pronouncing i think i'm pronouncing his name right but potentially not the album um number four promises by floating Point, points and the uh, pharaoh sanders and the london symphony orchestra for being pedantic um, number three, Space 1.8 by Nala Sinefro, jazz album. Um, two, Lil Ugly Main with Volcanic Bird, Enemy and The Voiced Concern. Superb name. And uh, number one, I've already said, Porter Robinson's Nurture. I don't know if there's any more of those, Michael, that you'd <laughs> listen to. Yeah, uh, quite a few of those. Um, I'm doing Mokhtar was very, one of the albums that was very close to making my top ten. I know I said I wouldn't name them, but that's a superb album and genuinely an eye-opening album for me. Um I can't even imagine how much other superb music there must be out there in Africa after listening to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's yeah. brilliant. Uh, the Pharaoh Sanders album is one of the best jazz albums released this century, I would imagine. Um, not that I'm an expert on uh, modern jazz, but it's superb. Um, and uh, yeah, there were at least a couple more that in there that I've heard. Well, Ignorance is a great record uh, by The Weather Station. Uh, I haven't heard Scar Dream, but I have No Dream, which is a great album. I love Jeff Rosen stuff. Um, so yeah. Just loads of brilliant stuff, like we said. Just superb. Definitely. Sums up 2021. Superb. What a year. Well, musically. <laughs> yeah, in, definitely in not a great Little year. else. <laughs> <laughs> Shite sums it up for most other stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what's, what's that? I've uh, had something uh, drip, dropping on my head. It appears we've got a leak, Clive. Oh, shit. <laughs> must be plug time. Plug that fucker up. <laughs> Stickaroundpodcast.com for our website, which uh, has every episode, every single episode we've ever done on there, uh, which most podcast apps cap it at 100 for some reason, so you can't go further back than that. Uh, also, articles that we've written, my top albums of every year is on there. Like I say, 1986 about to go up soon. 1985 is up. Um, and then I'm on to my first year of 1987, which I'm very excited about. Um, I guess that, I, that my aim is to get 1987, my birth year, done before my, my son is born in about seven weeks, hopefully. Ooh. So we'll see how that goes. Um, 
on that note oh at stick around pod at stick around cast on twitter it's been a while since i've been on twitter um alex wayne's in charge over there so i don't know how much she's been slagging me off but <laughs> uh, we've not been that not. active but, um <laughs> okay i'll maybe start a few twitter wars on our behalf <laughs> good get us some attention that's the best yeah. way to do it um so yeah that's where you can find us there slash stick around podcast on facebook on all the other stuff, we're also on, I think it's at Stick Around Cast on Instagram as well, but you'll be able to just find us by typing in Stick Around wherever. Um, and yeah, that's where we are. If you can give us a review on iTunes, that's the best way to get us a bit further up the chart. Whenever we get a five-star review, and my, it happens all the time, um, <laughs> you notice a definite bump in the numbers. So that's the most useful thing you can do. We don't have a Patreon. We don't, have, we don't ask for any money. You know, we'll wait we're getting thousands of listeners for that but if you want to help us just give us a five star review on itunes and it really will help uh so we'd appreciate that and, and just tell your friends and stuff that's all good uh, i think that's everything right michael anything you'd like to add before we call it a day no okay anything <laughs> new on roads to the north any what anything new on your uh webs- on your blog no, not just lately, I don't think. No, so nothing to plug in that sense. Uh, but yeah, I'll have to get back to that. I've got some ideas for stuff I want to write. So just whenever I get the time. Cool. Yeah, that is it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Time. Yep. Well, we've been stick around um, as a collective. Um, Michael has been Michael. True that. Clive has been Clive. Also true. I've mostly been me. Um <laughs> Please stick around. We'll be back shortly. Stick around. Stick around. Stick around. Thank you all for listening. Rest assured that you have found the best podcast in the universe it's stick around